this is a podcast where I talk to people with disabilities to hear their stories. I wouldn't expect anyone to know what life is like for someone who can't walk, can't see, or can't hear. But we have a responsibility to learn and grow throughout our lives. And this podcast is meant to help to see what life is like for someone on the other side. Welcome to Ability. On this episode, I talk to public school teacher and founder and writer of Audacity Magazine. This episode with Natasha Alvarez. So how are you today? I'm doing great. It's a little rainy in Miami, but it's good. Yeah, you got a hurricane coming through, it turns out, so or nearby. Yeah, well, at least we don't have the hurricane. Thankfully. So I know you have osteogenesis imperfecta, because that's what I have, but can you explain it in your own words? Tell me about it as if I know nothing. I don't know all the different types, nor am I that concerned about that. I just tell people that I have brittle bones and that I break very easily, and then I go with that. I think other people can go ahead and research whatever they want. I just don't like to make any statements because what applies to me might not apply to someone else. And then I don't want to hear all the hate mail when people say, oh, my God, you spoke on my behalf. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, relax. So I just tell people I have brittle bones and I usually cut it at 100 fractures. I don't like to get into detail. Some people like to count them. I don't understand why, but it's not my thing. Like, they'll say, we have 300 fractures. I'm, I'm more like, I had 100 by the age of 10. Anything after that is just icing on the cake. I've lost count, too. We have no idea how many breaks I've had. I always love when I go to a doctor's office or a hospital and they ask you to list how many like operations or procedures you've had. And I always comment that the space isn't big enough. <laughs> exactly. I know I've had tons of operations. I wouldn't want to say tons because tons is an amount of weight. I would say I've had numerous operations and then I just let it go at that, too. If they want to know, then they can be a part of my life and get to know me. When did you first realize you were different? In sixth grade, I went to Miami to a public school. And I went to, I grew up in New York. So I went to, at the time, Human Resources School. Now it's called the Dr. Henry Viscardi um, Institute or something. So everybody was disabled. In a wheelchair, crutches, physical disabilities. And I didn't think anything was a big deal. And while I played with my friends in the neighborhood, they never pointed out that I was different. Then in sixth grade, um, my best friends decided to bully me. And I didn't find out until much later that they told everyone that I couldn't wipe my butt. And so everyone decided not to talk to me because supposedly I couldn't wipe my butt. And it wasn't that I couldn't wipe my butt, what happens is that I was in the bathroom, and you know when you run out of toilet paper, and you're, you know, 11 years old, you scream, Mom, come here. So she came in, and I go, Mom, I need toilet paper. And so she gave me toilet paper. And because she gave me toilet paper, for some unknown reason, my so-called friends decided to tell everybody that because I'm in a wheelchair, I can't wet my butt. So um, that's when I noticed my first thing that I was going to be picked on because I was disabled. I didn't really think much of it in middle school. I had a boyfriend, I was doing well, everything was fine. 
And then <clears throat> in actually in college, um, there was a guy from the radio station and he started talking to me when I called up to ask for a song request. He told me that he looked like Jordan from New Kids on the Block and that we just had to meet. Well, I didn't tell him that I was in a wheelchair because it never crossed my mind. I never had to. My best friend told me I should have because he's going to be shocked, but I didn't want to believe it. So <clears throat> we go to Hialeah, which is where he was, a part of Miami, and he saw the wheelchair in the back of the car. He looked at me, saw the wheelchair, and said he had to go back inside. When he spoke, he said that he couldn't be with someone in a wheelchair. And I was like, wow, I never knew. Like, I didn't know that being in a wheelchair was going to be a deal breaker for people. But it turns out he doesn't look like Jordan from New Kids on the Block. So there was no loss right there either. I, I want to say to you that sometimes I, I shock myself when I look in the mirror and I see my arms are bowed. And then I'm like, oh, my God, my arms are bowed. And so people look at me and they'll go, yeah, you didn't know that? And I go, no, I don't sit here and analyze every inch of my body. But now that you noticed it, thanks for letting me know that it pops into your head. Like, it doesn't pop into mine. I don't look at people's arms and say, oh, wow, well, your arms are really straight. I just don't think like that. I know you mentioned bullying, which is really unfortunate, but what was it like for you growing up? Well, like I said, I went to a school where everyone was physically disabled, so my childhood was pretty good. And I had a really strong mom, or I have a really strong mom, and she taught me how to handle the pain. I wasn't allowed to be whiny. I'm not, I wasn't allowed to cry about things to the point of hysterical. I could cry, but I just couldn't be one of those kids that was, you know, it looked like they were throwing a temper tantrum, even though they were in pain. She would tell me, no, you have to focus. And she would tell me stories to get my mind off of that pain. So I grew up with that mentality. And then I grew up with, go ahead, try it, do it. You know, not, my father was more, watch out. Oh my God, she's gonna get hurt. And my mom was more like, ah, just let her. Don't worry, she's gonna break. And mom was like, she's gonna break anyway. Let her try. So it was those two conflicting messages. One was putting fear inside of me and the other one was saying, go for it. So I didn't really think much about it, but I do know that, you know, Audacity Magazine, I wrote an article about how I grew up with death. And I think that, I don't know how it is for you or other people, but um, <clears throat> I grew up with a lot of friends dying at a young age, either through muscular dystrophy or, you know, other disabilities. And so now I look at that and I say, oh, my God, I'm living when others have been dying with my disease. It's almost like I, I feel as if I have um, an hourglass and I have X amount of sand, but mine is going quicker than somebody who doesn't have a disability. What was your relationship like with your parents? My relationship, it is still rocky. Um, my father was... Uh, absent because we moved to Miami and he was in New York with his other family and he married a woman who I continue to call the step monster um, yeah I know I should get over it by now I'm 47 
but I just don't think that uh, that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, <clears throat> my mom is who I call my best friend and my worst enemy, because I think that your worst enemy knows how to get into your head and can push the right buttons. You know, you can have a lot of enemies, but unless they can get into your head, they're absolutely no problem for you. You can, like, brush it off. But when somebody can really push your buttons, oh, that's not good. But then at the same time, see if she knows how to push my buttons, she can tell me the right thing that will help me think, oh, my God, I can overcome that. Or, yes, I can solve that problem. So, actually, my mom literally lives across the street from me. It's, it's as if wherever I go, she wants to be close. So in a way, I live by myself, I do everything by myself, but she still wants to be close to me. Now that I'm older, it's actually a plus and a minus. It's a plus because sometimes I'll get really sick, like a pneumonia. And having my mom just across the street is wonders because I don't want to go into one of those you know, hospice or rehab, I don't know what they're called, because I do whatever I can to stay away from hospitals. So with my mom across the street, I just told the doctor, I'm not going into the hospital. And he'll say, well, you have a pneumonia. And then I'll say, okay, can you give me all the medicine? And my mom will do it. And so he literally gives me all the medicine that I would have in a hospital. And then my mom would come every three hours and like tap me on the back to make sure that I cough everything out give me my medicine, do everything, and then she has her life, and then I have mine. So that's the good part. The bad part is that she can come over anytime. What adaptations have you made to the world around you? So like what technology, gadgets, wheelchairs, doorstops, however? Well, remember, we go back to my mom. Here's the situation. My mom told me that the world would not adapt to me and that I would have to adapt to the world. Now, I was born in 1970, so there was no ADA or anything like that. I mean, that didn't stop my mom from fighting for certain things, but when it comes to stuff, no, I, I have a manual wheelchair and I have one of those long stick reachers and that is to the extent of the technology that I would have that would be so-called for people with disabilities. I mean, in my car, I have hand controls and I have a chair topper. The one that you put in it, um, the top opens up and then a stick comes down and you put the manual wheelchair and it brings it back up. So I have that, but everything else, no. I wish that I had this technology that we have right now back when I was a kid. I mean, I mean, think about it. How many times could I have used online gaming to take my mind off the fact that I'm home in a cast while my friends are out playing. So in that aspect, I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. But in the other aspect, I noticed that without having technology that I, that we have now, I had to use other things like my imagination, you know, books, writing, coloring, arts and crafts. I play the piano. So there's like pros and cons. But I really appreciate the fact that I'm okay with the era that I was born in, and I'm okay with the technology that I grew up with and the technology that I keep. Although many of my friends tell me that I'm overworking myself. Like I should have a motorized wheelchair. It will make me better. And 
I am not ready for that because I feel that, and this is just my opinion, I feel that if I can use my arms, I'm going to keep on using them because if not, it'll hurt my lungs, it'll make me weaker because I work as a teacher. So it's not as if I can go to therapy and it's not as if I can afford therapy. So in that aspect, I think that um, while I might have it a little bit rougher out of choice, I think it's in the long run, it just helped me to become a little bit more flexible when I go to people's homes. I don't have to sit there and say, oh, I can't because you don't have the technology that I have in my house. I'm more like, okay, I can't reach the counter. Well, let me find another way to reach what I have to reach. Your wheelchair goes up and down, right? Yes, it does. Yeah, now you see, that's what I'm talking about. I would love one of those. And then when I cook, I can actually see the bubbles bubbling in the pot, you know what I mean? But at the moment, I've got to take a mirror and I've got to check to see if the bubbling is there. And I would tell my mom, I go, my, you know, if I have one of those wheelchairs, they go up and down. And then she goes, yeah, and if you have one of those wheelchairs, you need one of those vans. Do you have one of those vans? And I'm like, no. She goes, well, then you don't have one of those wheelchairs. So it was like that kind of reality slap around that she would give me. And it's, I mean, you're, I saw your wheelchair. I was like, oh, my God, that is so cool. Even going to the groceries, how awesome would it be? I have to sit there and go, gee, now how am I going to get that on the top shelf? But now I just eliminated processed food, so now I never have to worry about the top shelf again. Because all the good food is at eye level, you know, the produce and the fruit and stuff like that. So I'm okay now. But back then, I was like, man, I really want to get those Fruit Loops. Why did you start Audacity Magazine? What led you through that adventure? In the mid-90s, I fell and I had broken my pelvis. And I wasn't able to go to um, a Billy Joel concert, which was extremely depressing, by the way. And so I was stuck in bed. And my sister gave me 15 magazines. Like she just piled these magazines around me. And she's like, here you go. This will take your mind off of it. So I'm like, okay. So I'm in my mid-20s. I'm reading the magazines. So just think about this. I'm in my mid-20s. I'm missing a Billy Joel concert. I had to break a date for that. I open the magazine, and it says, so you're home. Some of the things that you can do, and they'll say, try yoga, or so you broke up, and you need to get out. Go hiking. And I'm thinking, um, yoga, hiking, that's not going to happen. Or every single article was with the mindset of someone with physical abilities. So I was, I don't know if it was a pity party. I don't know what happened to me that day. And I was like, I hate these things. So my sister said, what's the matter with you? You always read them. And I said to her, I don't like these magazines. It's nothing to do with me. I should have, well, if you don't like it, then start your own. And I'm like, yeah, how? And then she's like, I don't know, figure it out. So I started cutting out all the articles that I thought I can do a twist to it. Now, in the mid-90s, we didn't have the internet. At least I did not have the internet. And it just stayed there. I got a group of people with physical disabilities, and we all met. And I told them what I wanted to do. And everybody was really excited about it. But the cost of printing was outrageous. 
Then all of a sudden, in the year 2000 or so, Yahoo groups popped up. So I was in a Yahoo group and I said my idea. And we gave birth to Audacity. A group of us went ahead and said, let's go for it. But in order for it to work, it had to become a nonprofit. And I said, okay, I don't want it to be something motivational in terms of like inspirational porn. I didn't want that. I just wanted the magazine to be for us, about us, and by us. Um, another person with OI, her name is Athena Cooper, and she's in Canada. And she went ahead and was a web designer during that time, and she set up the blog. And out of nowhere, people from all over the world were emailing me, finally, something we can relate to. So it became a lifestyle magazine for people with physical disabilities. If you could have any job, if education, cost, or physical ability were not a factor, just pure enjoyment, what would you most like to do? Well, I'm a teacher full-time, middle school. I love it. It doesn't do anything with my disability. Anybody can be a teacher if they really love it. But if I could pick something where I didn't have a disability, I wouldn't be like on Criminal Minds, one of those profilers, you know? And or, or, I would tell my mom this, I go, Mom, I should have been a detective, you know? But I know there's like a lot of physical stuff you have to do, but if they could just skip that part over and just use our brains, I think that the police department is missing out on a lot of good people. I know that if you let me take one of those exams on intelligence, boom, I can help you catch those murders. But because I'm in a wheelchair and I can't run and chase after the guy, then they don't even let me apply. Who inspires you or who do you look up to? People who inspire me, Helen Keller, since I was a little girl and she still does. I mean, she, in my mind, it's amazing. First of all, I'm afraid of the dark. To not be able to see would freak me out. And then to not be able to hear. But then on top of that, to not be able to do both and have to learn that somebody is putting some kind of symbol in your hand and that you have to understand that that symbol means something. I mean, that's just amazing. That to me is wow. And then later on, she's an advocate and she does a whole bunch of things. But that's all icing on the cake compared to the fact that she even got through the beginning stages. So Helen Keller is really big deal for me. I think, um, actually, there are a lot. There's so many people that inspire me. Unfortunately, she's the only one with a disability. That's how I see it. She's really the only one. I, I look to see if there's other people with physical disabilities. Uh, I would like to say our, our president, Roosevelt, our former president, but since he hid the wheelchair, you know, I'm thinking, eh, that's not going to help me. You know, you're, you're kind of telling me that I have to hide my disability in order to get something done. Um, Superman inspires me. Wonder Woman inspires me. I'm always amazed how good she looks. Every time she spins round and round, I'm like, good grief, I want to look that good. Um, Oprah, she inspires me, but not for the reasons people might think. I think that she inspires me because everybody talks about her. 
and she still goes out there and tries to do what she loves. People talk about her weight. People talk about her boyfriend. People talk about her best friend. I mean, they will find everything to pick on her instead of just letting her live her life. And she's still, you know what? No big deal. I'll just keep on doing my thing. And she's succeeding despite the fact that people keep throwing rocks at her. So Oprah, definitely, she's inspiring. Now, motivating Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins motivates me. He doesn't inspire me because I don't know much about his story. I mean, I know something. So it's not like, wow, if Tony can do it, so can I. It's not like that. It's more like when he's talking, I'm like, yeah, I'm agreeing with him so much that he motivates me to go and do something, take action. And I think that's pretty impressive. If I have to say a person with a disability who inspires me, I would have to say any of my friends with physical disabilities who are out there living life, I find them to be very inspiring. I mean, really, that sounds so kumbaya, Barney, I love you, you love me, but I just find it so awesome. Like, right now, watching the fact that you're doing a podcast, that, that's like totally inspiring. I'm like, oh my God, how come I didn't do a podcast? That's so cool. You know, or when I see my friends, the Miami Heat Wheels basketball team, when I see them playing basketball and I see them practicing and the hours they put in, oh my God, I'm inspired. My friend Lazaro, he's a quadriplegic and he's positive and he's so nice to everyone and that inspires me. So people who are doing right, they inspire me. What brings you joy? What brings me joy is going to sound so crazy, but a bubble bath brings me joy. Um, the sunset brings me joy. When I see people doing good things to each other randomly, just random, that brings me joy. When I give, when I help someone, that really brings me joy. And I'm serious. I'm thinking, oh no, I'm channeling Tony Robbins right now and Oprah, but it is so real. Like every time I help someone, I feel so good the rest of the day. What do you consider your biggest accomplishment? So my biggest accomplishment, I couldn't even pick just one. Having Audacity Magazine continuing for 14 years, I think is a pretty good accomplishment. A lot of the websites, that started out when Audacity started out are no longer around. I don't even know if Boom is around, you know, and they wanted to acquire Audacity, but I told them that they couldn't because it's a nonprofit, so we can't be acquired. I don't know if they're around. Um, and they came way after I did. So that's a big accomplishment for me. I think it sounds so conceited. I feel like I am my biggest accomplishment. I don't think it's bragging. And, that, and if you said that you are your biggest accomplishment, I wouldn't think you're bragging either. I think that we're in society, we're being told that our biggest accomplishment must be something tangible, you know, or I raised X amount of money, or I did this race, or whatever it is. But sometimes I think that having our mind at peace is a very big accomplishment. The fact that I graduated 
from the University of Miami. That's a big accomplishment because someone told me that I wouldn't be able to go to UM, but I got a scholarship, so I was able to go. That's a big accomplishment. You're not going to be able to live on your own. Well, I live on my own, so I have a big accomplishment. But I think my mouth is my biggest accomplishment and what I use it for. You know, I, I'll speak up even at work. I will speak up. And I, you know what, Jacob? I hear people, listen, check this out, teachers who have no disability at all, and they cower under the administration or under other things. And here I am, and I'll speak up. So I am my biggest accomplishment, and I think that this is the first time I actually say it out loud. What's the biggest challenge you've had to overcome? I, I think that overcoming what I tell myself. I think that telling myself, don't do it, and a part of me really wants to, and then finally listening to the voice that says, come on, you can do it, that is my biggest obstacle. Um, another obstacle to overcome, getting a job as a teacher. It was so humiliating at times. For example, well, one morning I get a phone call, 6.30, we need you, can you come substitute at Sunset Senior High School? I said, sure, no problem. I rush to my school and I'm there and I'm in the main office waiting for, you know, the substitute woman to say something to me. And she's pacing back and forth. And she goes, oh my God, where is she, where is she? And everyone's looking and then one teacher says, Grace, who are you looking for? And she goes, I called the substitute and she's not here. And I go, excuse me, are you looking for me? And she goes, what's your name? And I go, Natasha Alvarez. And then she goes, oh my God, you're in a wheelchair. Like out loud. And it's like, oh my gosh, why you are okay with your vision. So I was like, yeah. And then she goes, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And she's freaking out. I mean, seriously, she's having a panic attack. And then one of the teachers says, hi, Natasha. And it was my teacher. And I go, hi. And they're like, um, Grace, she came to this school. She knows the school. She probably, and he goes, how is she going to get to the second floor? I mean, she's looking for problems. And then the teacher says, I'm pretty sure Natasha still has the key to the elevator. And then he looks at me, he goes, you still have the key? And I go, yes. But the woman just freaked out. And every single time I tried to get a job, they just looked at me and then they would say, can you handle the kids? Are you going to be okay alone in the room? And I'm thinking to myself, I remember when I was a kid, I didn't think it was that scary. Why are they looking at me like something bad's gonna happen to me? Overcoming, I'm sorry, getting people to change their view of me is my biggest obstacle. How do you think people see you? Depending on who and what situation we're at. The school that I'm at, when I, I first taught that year, the end of the year, one of my coworkers, a man, a tall man, a, a well-built man, said, you know what, at the beginning when I first saw you, I said, oh, Jesus age Christ, now I've got to help her with the discipline, oh my God. But by the end of the year, I realized, no way, the kids have to be worried about you. So I'm like, okay, so that's what he saw. He saw the wheelchair. How do you wish people see you? I wish I go ahead and realize that my thoughts run deeper 
than what they think. I wish that people would see that I really want good for everyone. I want everyone to be happy, but I want everyone to reach their potential. So if I wanna want people to see me a certain way, I don't think about the normal one. I want them to see me despite my disability. No, I'm not into that. Um, I'm more into, I would hope that you can see me for who I am. I am a woman. I am Latina, even though I was born and raised in America. I have a disability. I want them to see all of that. But then I want them to go ahead and see that I have a mind, I have a heart, and I have a soul. And that I want to accomplish many of the basic needs that they also want to do as well. They shouldn't just give me a pass just because I'm disabled. Some people say, oh, it must be so hard for you. As if every day I must go home and cry or something. I don't know. You know, I'm like, what? So I want them to see that I want to do what they do. I want to go where they go. I want to enjoy the things that they enjoy. I just want them to realize that instead of steps, I'm going to need a ramp. I just need to do things a little differently. But I'm just like that. So how do you want to be seen? I want to be seen like a human being. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates? I want to believe that heaven exists, first of all. And I would hope that when I get up there, God is going to say, good job, Tosh. And I'd be like, thank you, dude. And I go, where's my spot? And Shamar Moore better be there, or there might be a spot ready for him. <laughs> so thank you so much. I really appreciate you doing this with me. Thank you very much, and thank you again for the invitation. Thanks so much to Natasha for joining me on this episode. It was really great, and I hope you enjoyed it. You can follow more of her work at audacitymagazine.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at abilitypodcast.com, and you can follow me at the Jacob Holt. You can also check out the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash abilitypodcast. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It really helps out the show. Until next time, keep on rolling.